Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. My name is Lucky Lopez with Automotive Life. And so far, the Ice Coffee Hour podcast has made $239,633. That That's the, the closest cl- guess we've yeah. ever had. Yeah, ever. $232,300. Ooh, what do I win? A high five, All man. Right. Thank you so much Good for one. coming on the Ice Coffee like, Hour. Uh, I don't know. This is, this is a trip because yeah. we've been friends with you for, I don't even know how long, maybe a year, right? Yeah, technically it was a year when we went to uh, Barrett-Jackson. Actually, True. they just reached out to me. They're like, are you guys coming? Are you guys coming? Because Hubie was there again. Yeah. And it's already been a year. That's just, crazy. Just flew by. It's I, insane. We've yeah. hung out a ton in this past year, and uh, something with your sector of your business has been going crazy. That's why we brought you on. We think you can explain something going on with the car bubble. The auto market bubble. Car values have gone up more, by the way, than real estate, the S&P 500, collectibles. Uh, people don't realize that cars over these last two years ha- are up. How m- uh, they? I think it's thirty three percent. Yeah. No, I think it's even higher. I think it's no used like 40%, cars. Yeah. It's thirty three percent. New cars. They have um, above MSRP purchase prices like the new Corvette of fifty sixty thousand dollars. I tried to buy one of the new Ford Broncos and they want thirty five thousand dollars over MSRP. And a brand new Ford Bronco is like thirty seven thousand was the one I was looking at. So it's almost the same price as the car, which just yeah. blows my mind. People don't realize that back when COVID first hit, you would you would have been best off just buying a whole bunch of used cars over mm-hmm. stocks or real estate. Yeah, outperformed with yeah. crypto stocks, everything, everything else. I remember when when the pandemic first hit, I had a few uh, dealerships reach out to me, and they were doing fire sales. They were so afraid that the banks are going to shut down, everything's going to end. So my friends were giving away trucks yeah. and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden they ran out of trucks. The supply ended, and then they started buying everything else, and the the numbers just shot up yeah. through the roof, blew me away. So, what's your experience going into this? Like your credibility in terms of like what you see? Can you tell us like how you're involved in the auto industry? Okay, so um, I've been in the automotive business for over 20 years. I've had multiple dealerships here in Vegas, auto repair shops, um, owned a few rental car companies. And what I currently do now on my channel is basically teach people how to set up their automotive business. And so still today, to keep my feet wet, to make sure I don't look like a fake guru, um, I always try to go out and still buy cars, still wholesale, still brokers, still buy paper, stuff like that. And what we've been seeing is just astronomical. This is the first time ever in history that a depreciating asset like a car is actually going up in value for the last two and a half years, which just blows my mind. And the whole thing about, I guess, the market right now is people feeling that there's this big shortage, there's this big uh, belief that there's not enough cars coming out of the factory, and it's the completely the opposite. Um, every chip manufacturer we talk to is currently building. If you call Chevy right now and say, hey, you know what, I need a new computer for my 2022 Chevy Corvette, call them. They'll get it in like seven days. So when we showed people this online and we showed a few of the news conferences I did, they were blown away. They thought that everything was backordered. The only place I know that has backordered parts is Tesla because Tesla's not the greatest, which we can get into. You also hate Tesla. You say it's like your least favorite car make ever, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I like the car. They're the first to market with a lot of the great stuff that came out, the self-driving, going 100% electric. So I do commend them on that. But they tried so hard to be a tech company and an automotive industry. And it's just, it's such a pain in the butt because like, if, you know, like your Lexus has issues, we can literally walk in. I can, hey, I got this car. Here's the VIN number. I could pick up the parts. If they don't have it, they'll tell me when it comes in. Try doing that at Tesla. I have friends that have literally been waiting weeks, if not months, and Tesla will not tell them when their parts are coming in. If anybody's ever crashed a Tesla before or dealt with this, they totally know what I'm, I mean. It's impossible to get parts. And then if you try to do service, usually we want to call a service writer, explain our problems, our issues. 
You guys using the apps? I don't know how you do it. It's like, yeah, pick up my car. Where's your car? I don't know. It's somewhere and it's dead and ran out of juice. And it's like, they got to pick it up from wherever you actually got to direct them to it. And you got to stand there with your phone. So it's just a few things that are not very convenient. And they're trying to buck that system of using automotive professionals in their system, which I can't understand. They want to make it different. But if you want somebody working on your car, I'm sure you'd probably feel better if somebody worked on your multiple cars for multiple years. When I was talking to some of these Tesla techs and I was like, oh, what did you do before? Were you like at Ferrari, Mercedes, BMW, Jaguar, Ford? Oh no, I was uh, I was an engineer uh, for, um, you know, like Cisco systems. And I'm like, so you did like software setups and, and everything else? They're like, yeah. And I was like, then what are you working on Teslas? He's like, oh, it's very simple. We just, we, they don't fix anything, they just replace. Mm. And so it kind of blew my mind. So I'm sure I'm going to get a roasted in the comment section for all the Tesla fans because I know you guys have a bunch of them. But it's completely different from most dealerships. They don't like to share information. Like when I was fixing Spencer's car, I can look up online and say, if you crash your Lotus, I can tell you how many hours it's going to take to take off your bumper, where I can get the parts, how far back ordered him, and give you an accurate quote on how to fix your car. Tesla does not share any of this information. So when I'm calling like, hey, like, especially if the car's wrecked, I don't know what was there before. And I'm like, hey, I need to get some bolts and parts. What was here before? Can I get a diagram? Isn't that because uh, Tesla likes to repair their own cars, though? 100%. They really, really want to do their own thing and repair their own cars. But they're running into the big problem of, you know, there's not a Tesla facility you know, in a lot of states and a lot of cities. So then they're subbing them out to other people. So I have a friend that's in California that does Tesla repair and he's a certified shop through them and it's still a pain in the butt to get parts and to work with them. So during COVID, which cars did you see have the biggest increase in value? What do people want the most? I was actually shocked. I figured it was going to be like luxury SUVs or luxury cars. It was trucks, hands hmm. down. Anything that makes money. I've never seen Dodge, Ford, Chevy, and even some of the Nissan trucks and Sprinter vans just absolutely explode in price. You know, usually trucks, we use them for work. We beat them up and, and they take a beating and the, the appreciates a little bit, but trucks usually hold their value. I mean, these guys were asking for $60,000 over on a GMC Denali, which I was just shocked. I'm like, this is just a truck. I know it's a nice truck, but why $60,000 over? And they're like, well, you can't get them even though they got 13 of them sitting right there on the lot. Um, I think that um, those were really big hit. And then also anything that was kind of rare, like your your Tesla now, mm. um, some of these like Ford uh, Shelby Mustangs, they didn't make a lot of them, so they just shot up. Anything with limited amount of, of inventory blew up. Even my Audi, like I've owned it for a year, put 17,000 miles on it, and it's worth more today than when yeah. I bought it a year ago. Now here's a question for you. Why wouldn't the auto manufacturers see this, that people are paying these prices? Why don't they just say, all right, well, that's the new price now. We'll just make fewer of them and sell it at that price. That's so I, I talk about that on my channel and it's kind of like a conspiracy thing when people ask me, well, there's a shortage, there's a shortage. And I'm like, if you're producing 100,000 cars and grossing $30,000 over MSRP, why would you make 300,000 cars and break even? And have to give them away because i remember two years ago we were getting stuff back of msrp they were literally giving us vehicles like when i bought my mercedes i literally got it for less than wholesale and then when this happened like you can go to ford chevy whatever else you'll see that the lines are moving smoothly the only actual um i guess supply shortage that i've seen was uh wiring harnesses for european vehicles because the main manufacturers in ukraine but I believe that's why they're doing that. And the sad thing is, it's not even the manufacturers. The manufacturers give the suggested retail price. It's the dealers. They get to set whatever market price they want to. So a lot of people keep 
claiming like Ford, Honda, Chevy, Toyota, and it's actually the, in the dealers, the franchisees, yeah. that are adjusting the prices. How do dealers work exactly? Because I know it's kind of a complicated, more than comp, more than what meets the eye, complicated situation, right? Yeah. Right now, there's a the way dealerships work is is very old school, but it is sought out and it works and it functions. But I'll, I'll kind of go into this right now. Everybody's trying to do what Tesla's doing. Tesla is doing direct to, to consumer. I saw Ford is copying that. Ford too. is the first one yeah. that made a separate uh, LLC that's going to try to do their EV vehicles, but still service them at their Ford dealers. So this way they don't get sued by their franchisees, which it's going to happen. But the way a dealership works is, you know, you make a contract with somebody like Ford and you say, look, we're going to, we want to sell your cars. When you sign that contract, you have to uphold a certain standard of not only your building, but also a service department. You got to buy so much in parts every month. And then you also got to get so many cars allocated. So if you love everybody wants trucks, they're all fighting for trucks, but you still have to buy the Ford Escapes, the, the Ford Focuses, the EVs, whatever that's not popular, you still have to buy because that's part of your contract of being a Ford dealer. But with that, if you have good customer service, you have really high reports and people are happy with you, you get specialty vehicles like Ford has SVT, so the, the mm. Ford GT. You weren't allowed to sell those unless you were a dealer with a really high uh, CSI report, which all your customers raved about you and they thought you're really good. But when it comes to dealers, I do admit that the way they function is very outdated, especially when it comes to finance. I can literally tell you a million horror stories of how financing works. Because when we tell like people, even like when I have my dealership here and I would tell them how it works, they never believe me. And now that like I talk about it on the channel, people still laugh. But finance is probably yeah. the one thing. Let's talk about finances, because when I saw your video originally, I did a lot of research into everything that you said. And what I found the most surprising was that it's common to get a loan up to 130% of the car's value. So if you have a car, Jack, that you want to buy for $10,000, you could find a bank who will finance that car for $13,000, 30% more. And the reason is because they, they add in the sales tax, the registration, the titling fees, and all the other miscellaneous stuff up to 130%. And I'm thinking, how are they doing that with a car that loses 20% as soon as it drives off the lot and all of a sudden a person owes 50% more than what the car is worth within like a week? Yeah. How Could you explain like the process of this? Yeah, so that's that's actually the average now, 130%. We have some banks that go up to 170% of LTV, which how? is just mind-blowing. What's, the, what, yeah. The way they did it is they were saying they were adjusting for inflation because as you guys know with the, the pandemic and the vehicle shortage, all the cars started rising up in price. So what the banks did, or the dealerships did to combat is like, well, if I'm paying, let's say the cars were $25,000. If I'm going to the auction and paying 25 grand, I still got to make a profit. So then I would show this slip to the bank and say, I need to get more money. I need to make five, $6,000 on this deal. Can you finance it up to 150% of LTV? And at that time, the government was pretty much obviously giving people stimulus money and they were backing all these loans. So they're like, yeah, just go ahead. And I've never seen banks change their lending so quickly and so freely where before, like even when I bought my R8, they didn't even ask me for a proof of uh, income. They didn't ask me for proof of residence. They just kind of bent the rules. And traditionally, we only do that if the customer has good credit and a good history. And what happened during the pandemic is they just literally let the floodgates go. So if you had, let's say you were a waiter and you made $2,500 a month, you know, and you just, let's say, become a plumber and now you're making $35, $40 an hour. Normally, what we would do is we would say, okay, that's an actual profession. We would give you more loan to compensate for your new income. 
if it's something like seasonal work or something that's temporary, like stimulus money, we don't ever give you more money because we know that that's only temporary. It's going to go back down to normal. Well, during this uh, pandemic, they were like, oh, well, this guy's making four grand. His, his spouse is making four grand and they're not paying rent and they're putting 20, 30% down. Let's just give them the 150, 160%. And they're just giving away all this money, these overinflated numbers. And the banks were just taking it because they figured, okay, if worst case scenario happens, we're just going to bundle this paper you know, get a triple A rated, sell it out to somebody and but either let one of the banks. Is there no oversight? Place. Is there no one who has a standard on these loans and they say this person is getting money from unemployment. They cannot afford this once that runs out. There's not like an authority. That- there, There is. Every bank kind of governs themselves. There's FDIC has regulations for certain types of lending, like predatory lending. It came really big. Back in the day, I could sell you a $100,000 car for $300,000 and there's nothing you could do as long as you sign a contract you're on the hook. Now it's got to be somewhat in a certain range where we can't oversell to you. But I believe after this, they're going to make a lot more regulations. Um, now that the default rates are going up and banks are seeing this, they're starting to pull back their books. But yeah, they're, the banks regulate themselves. And a lot of these banks, if they get their money from like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they have to abide by their guide rules. But there's so many of these hedge funds and, and bigger money that's private money that's investing into these banks. They can write whatever they want. It kind of sounds like the 08 housing crisis. It does for cars, cars. Yeah, 100%. Like we, we were making that joke. It's like, you know, they at least back then... You know, people were losing their repos. I think it was like that. It was about 14%, 13.5 um, was the repo rate back then. But people, you know, were so upset on their houses. That's why they let them go. Now we have people that have houses, but they actually have equity. But you look at the cars, once that that market starts to dip, like right now, retailers are talking about it's slowing down. Less bank loans are being given. Interest rates are going up. People don't have the money that they used to. So now all these dealers are stuck with this overpriced inventory and we're watching the the numbers go down. And I think that's one of the hottest topics that I talk about is like you could see it come down. And I hear people, well, the dealer won't go down on his price. I'm like, give it time. It's it's happening. We've seen all the repos like the video you guys saw. It's all piling up. But I think it's going to come to full ahead probably within the next three to six months. When we talked about it about six months ago, people thought it was weird and, you know, tinfoil hat and the whole th- uh, shebang. Now, when I'm starting like with news companies asking for interviews and people are sharing my stuff like on Reddit forums and Twitter, now it's like it's kind of nice to see that the cracks in the foundation are showing. People are actually scared and people like yourself and your guys' channel that are more well-known are talking about it because it's going to be a really, really big deal. Yeah. That, so what's yeah. your prediction on what will happen? My thing is I honestly believe that we're going to have probably not a big collapse like like the housing market. It's going to be like a 20%, 30% dip. But it's not the price of the car that's going to scare everybody. It's the ability to finance. Once these banks, like, you know what, mortgage and stuff like that, a lot of them are government-backed. They were able to pawn them off, whatever else. A lot of these automotive loans are not like that. They're not backed by the government. They're sold to these hedge funds. Um, people got them in their mutual funds, you know, so they're just sitting there. And if they default, the banks, when they show that much of negative equity in, in their portfolio, they're going to stop lending. They're going to make it extremely strict, just like they did after the housing market, where I'm going to go off your income and you could only afford what I can say you can afford. And that's what basically people are pushing themselves into doing is to being governed by people because the access of, you know, I know people, I won't mention names here in Vegas that live in a $1,000 a month apartment, but drive a $200,000 car. Why? We got to name names. We got to know. Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> I know. It's like, that guy. But, uh, but that's yeah. like some of the stuff that we're seeing. And so that shouldn't happen. But I believe that that's probably going to be the next step is if this collapses as bad as what they say it is, I think the government's going to step in just like the last time with predatory lending and they're going to change a lot of it. But I think it should be like that. 
it, to me, that seems reasonable that it, there should be a standard that says if you don't make a certain amount of money, you shouldn't qualify for this payment. Yeah, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to each of that. It's just like at the end of the day, if if you make, let's say, twenty bucks an hour, but you have two hundred thousand dollars in the bank and you want to buy a Lambo for three hundred k, I mean, to me, you have the down payment. You should be financially sound enough. But the bank's going to look and she'd be like, "This guy only makes twenty bucks an hour. Why are we why are we going to take his two hundred k and he's not going to be able to afford the payment?" We know you can. You could be successful. You could be rich. You could be on Social Security. And they still won't take it. They're even bucking like um, the original loans. They used to ask for like your bank statements, mm-hmm. your W-2s, some sort of paper trail, you know, to justify that. They stopped asking that because um, when uh, the Bill of Rights came out with this new federal uh, credit protection where it's predatory lending, if they know that you make too much or you don't make enough and they don't give you the loan, all these banks are worrying about getting sued because they'd rather give you a $30,000 car. And if you fail, that's on you. If you succeed, great. But if they show that they did some sort of malfeasance or they were judging you by your income or your character or your race or whatever else, they get like a $30,000 fine from the FDIC. And so that's some of the stuff that they're really, really scared about. So it's weird. It's like they want you to verify everything, but then they want to push the documents out and sell the car and not have to worry about who they're selling it to. So what do you think that's going to do to car values? Like, let's start with new cars. Oh, geez. So... You know, we talked about how the MSRP, people are asking like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 over it. Um, just last week, we were able to get a Lamborghini Huracan or Technica here in Vegas, mm-hmm. nothing over MSRP. I can get a new Corvette, nothing over MSRP. Um, a lot of the allocations, they were talking about how, oh, it's, it's going to be 18 months. It's going to be 24 months before you get your car. Now we're down to like 8, 12 months. So the, I believe that the market's going to start cooling down. Already, like if you drive by Sahara, you can see the lots are full of cars. You know, there are some spots here um, in the United States that have low inventory, especially when it comes to the Northeast. They just, I don't know why, they just don't have a lot of cars here. Where the West Coast, we have these massive lots, so they just stack three, 400 cars mm. and just leave them. You know, and if you watch my video, a lot of these banks and even some of these dealerships have holding yards. So even though they do have inventory, sometimes we don't show you everything. Like if you look at my lot, you'd never guess how many cars I got. I got 150 cars, but that's... Like I said, that's just from hmm. back there. I put a few up online, yeah. a few at the auction, and I think that's what's going to so happen. So do you think the worst case scenario for new cars then is just selling at MSRP? That doesn't seem that no, bad it, that's from the that catch. perspective. It, yeah. the, the prices, like I said, it's it doesn't seem that bad until the people try to go buy them. When their rent is doubled, the gas is doubled, their insurance is doubled, and they're trying to maybe afford a $600 car payment. That's what they qualify for. And maybe this new car that's at MSRP is seven fifty. Now they're not going to qualify for it. That's my big worry is that people are not going to qualify for these types of vehicles anymore because of they're going to get stricter. They're going to ask for more down payment. They're going to ask for better stability. Because mm. a lot of my banks, like as a dealer, every few months we get a, a notification from our lenders. Hey, we want to do 2015 and above. We want to stay cars 105,000 miles and below. We don't do maybe Mercedes, or we don't do anything rare like Saabs. They'll send you out these um, structures to let you know what to lend on, how to set it up. And I've noticed that we used to get these maybe once a quarter. We're getting these things every two to three weeks now. Of uh, We're not doing this anymore. We're not doing 84 months. We're not doing 2.9%. We're going back up to 3.5. Uh, minimum job time instead of one month, it's six months. So little by little, it's like I said, it's starting to show and bubble to the surface. But the problem is the public won't see this for another three to six months. It's the dealers and the people inside the industry that are seeing it now, but they will never see it because they're the ones that are holding all the inventory mm. and they don't want to get stuck with a bunch of overpriced stuff. What about used cars? Used cars, 
here's the problem. If you're buying something under $12,000, I think those cars are going to go up because once, just like in 08, um, that's why I started selling like more cheap, affordable cars is because people can't afford those 30, 40, 50, $60,000 cars after their credit shot, after they don't make as much money or their debt to income is not what it's supposed to be. So anything under 12 grand, I believe is going to hold its value. If not go up like your Miata, you're going to laugh. And two years from now, I bet you it'll be worth double what we bought it for. You know, it's, it's just, I think it's almost already there, you know, but, uh, it's, that's what we're seeing is people that normally didn't have money during that stimulus time. They got those back checks that were getting five, 10, $15,000 at one time. They were buying all cheap, affordable cash cars. So there are some people that were smart after the 08 recession that like, I'm not going to get myself in debt. I'm going to buy something cash, own it and have no bills. So when people ask me, what's the hardest cars to get? It's cheap cars. I mean, Alex knows I've been trying to find him a truck forever. You know, when we were looking for your Miata, mm -hmm. it's it, anything that's affordable is super, super expensive. And it's almost like doubled, you know, where before I could get you that Miata for like two grand. Now it's like four. Actually, no, now it's like six to $8,000 for a decent one, you know, without being beat up. Now, what about cars like the 4GT or like collector cars like an SLS AMG, a Z8? All of these cars have gone up like... 50 to sometimes they've doubled some yeah. of some have tripled the dodge vipers now oh my gosh nobody wanted those cars for years and now i'm looking at the values and, and bring a trailer they're they're selling at ridiculous amounts right now yeah uh, with specialty cars like yeah. yours i hate to say it it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it yeah the more rare they are obviously they're going to hold their value but we, what we've been seeing is a lot of people liquidating a lot of their uh their collections mm. you know like you like the 4gt i would just keep it because even if it drops 20 30 percent i would still get it because you'll never know when you'll be able to get another one but we've seen a lot of the exotic cars like barrett jackson was just here hundreds of cars go up bring a trailer cars and bids all these places um one interesting statistic that i saw that was saying that 50 percent of the buyers on bring a trailer and cars and bids are dealers now i can't confirm this but uh, that's, i've seen yeah so i Watch those bids religiously. I have so much fun. Sometimes I'll send Jack the cool ones. We'll all watch it together with uh, and Alex too. And uh, I click on the profiles of the people that are bidding on the cars. And I'm like, what What are they buying? Some of them, you know, they're individuals when they bought very specific cars. Yeah. And maybe they, they're building a collection of like only buying red cars. And like yeah. they're all red. But then some I've seen that they're buying like 30 cars a month. And they're all in like different price points. So, and sometimes I feel like are those are they bidding on behalf of someone else who just hires them to go and buy these cars? You're saying they're they're dealers? Yeah, most of them were yeah. dealers. Like I was shocked. Like when I put my smart car up there, I figured it's a fun toy. Somebody just wants to buy it for fun. I'd say about eighty percent of those when I was messaging them back and forth, and some hit me up on Instagram. They're all dealers. What they're, are they going to do with it? Flip it? Oh yeah, one guy said that he had he was going to finance some guy for thirty five thousand dollars, and I was like, "You're going to sell the smart car for thirty five grand?" And he's like, "Yeah." He goes, "I got a guy. He's got ten grand cash. He just can't afford it." And the bid right now is like eleven grand. I was like, "You know, if that's what you want to do." But there were so many dealers like that had inside deals with banks, just kind of like what yeah. I have, where we could finance almost but, whatever we want. Now, how does that work? Let's say they're bidding on behalf of a person like that. Mm -hmm. What's to say they don't win the car and then the person backs out? That's the problem. That's why I don't do auto brokering. When people ask right. me, like, why don't you go to the auction and show me how to buy cars or take me with you? I want to buy a car. It's not worth it because that's what they do. Got it. They'll okay. back out. I don't like the color. I don't like the smell. 
you know, I thought it'd be nicer in person. So yeah, that's the run, the risky run. But a lot of these dealers, they just had a, a blank check, you know, with the stimulus money and PPP loans. Like I'll tell you what, that's what I think that drove up the, the highline prices. Mm. Cause I remember same thing. We bought a Viper for like 38,000 bucks. I think that thing sold just recently for like 70, $80,000. I've been trying to buy a DeLorean for like six months. Mm-hmm. I can't even touch them. They just, they, I remember seeing them for like 10, 15, $20,000 now, not even running yeah. 30 grand. It's interesting because we, uh, we got the Lotus wrapped. Check out the, uh, Graham Stephan after hours channel. We're going to post there uh, sometime soon, but anyway, we'll throw up a picture here from purple flare wraps. And I was talking to the owner and I said, how's the business going? And he said that people are preparing right now for a recession and they're buying fewer cars. They're spending less money customizing their cars. And like he, he, in my opinion, is one of the perfect people to talk to on this because he sees it firsthand. When you're spending money in a car wrap, chances are you're doing well enough to spend, you know, some, whatever on a wrap. But when people are scaling back on that and they're preparing for this, um, and at the same time that you're seeing people selling off a lot of those cars, like a lot of the Ford GTs are being sold and bring a trailer. And it makes me kind of think, hmm, they're all selling these cars. Why? Why are they selling them? Um, so I could definitely see us potentially heading in that direction where people are beginning to sell off their cars just to prepare for maybe what might happen. Yeah. I I think that that fear is already out there. And and especially a lot of people learned after 08, where I remember the economy is great. The government said the same thing. The economy is great. We're going to keep booming. There's no problems. And all of a sudden it just, it fell out. And so now like same thing with me. I'm trying not to listen to different people like trying to influence my decision, like whether to sell cars, buy cars. But my advice would be if if you can afford it, like your four GT, you love it. It's your dream car. It's actually my dream car too. I would keep it. I wouldn't get rid of it. Have you found the the car market to be a leading indicator of bigger economic problems or like a following? I, a I, I usually indicator? do because we we talk about the subprime auto market. Like that's one of the things that when we start to see repos piling up, we start to see defaults. That's usually the first indicator of us, like the economy slowing down, the jobs are not as great. So we, like I said, we're kind of talking about this on my channel about six months ago. And everybody's like, man, we're struggling to hire people. And I'm sure you guys have seen like, you know, we're dying for people. We're trying to hire MGM Grand was offering bonuses here. A lot of my friends that own restaurants were offering bonuses. Was it last month, month before? Stopped like instantly. Everybody put hiring holds. They stopped doing it. A lot of these tech companies are laying off hundreds of people, if not thousands. Carvana laid off, what is it, 2,500 people, which we have to talk about them too. That's like the worst. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things that we see is we see that about six months to a year before like the real estate market. When people started defaulting on their cars and letting them go, we were wondering why so many people were doing it. We figured it's because they were buying too many houses because everybody we knew, even the Walmart greeter owned three homes in Vegas, you know, from those ninja loans. But we started seeing all these people letting their cars go and we didn't think anything of it. We're just like, we're just going to buy these and turn on and sell them. And then it just slapped us in the face. You know, thank God I was able to liquidate a lot of them, but a lot of my friends, they didn't come back from that. They lost a lot of money. So I do see that that's kind of the main indicator of what's going on. Cause people, I think now, instead of the other way around, they would always get rid of, they'd stop paying their house, get their car and then just drive around their car. Now I think it's the other way around. They're just going to get rid of their cars, keep their house because they got equity. Because why pay $40,000 for a Dodge Charger when you could see one in six months from now selling for $25,000 at a dealership for half the price and half the car payment? I feel that's what's going to happen. People are going to start letting stuff go and buying it back for, for cheaper, just like it was in the 08 with houses. Mm. Now you're mentioning Carvana. Could you explain what's going on with them? 
So Carvana is another one of those companies that wants to be a tech company first and then a car dealership second, which the theory sounds great. It was like the darling of the stock market a while back. And so um, I personally dealt with them on several occasions when about maybe about four years ago, we used to fix their cars. My dealership was right across the street from Drive Time, which is also owned by the same family. It's a father and son duo. And so they would buy the cars. Carvana would pay to fix them. And then... After they fixed them, they would sell them to drive time and then they would pay for like little minor repairs and send them back. And I'm like, why are these guys, why are these guys taking such big losses, you know, and they're not making any money on these cars. Why are they selling to, to drive time? It doesn't make any sense. So we just thought new company, they made mistakes with buying. They didn't have any qualified employees. They were buying stuff virtual online. So they're one of the first ones to do that. So we're like, okay, it's just learning, learning pains. Well, fast forward three years later nothing has changed. You know, if you're one of the biggest automotive companies that's buying and selling cars to people, you know, you want to be, to have the smartest people in the room. You want to hire the best qualified people. When you go to most Carvana stores, there's no store. It's just a person driving around a truck, the buyers for the cars. It's usually maybe a guy that's never really bought a whole lot of cars. They just go around and just pick up cars that you enter online. They look at the calculator, which we'll show you here. Just come up with some formulated plan on how much it's worth, and you just pay you for it. I have videos where we sold cars to Carvana that were just absolute junk, and they were paying us, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars over market value. And the kid wouldn't even start it. Like we gave him the keys, and you know, we put like squeaky toys in the seat and like funny stuff on the steering wheel, just so it it'd be funny when he walked in. He just looked at it. Okay, that's the car. I'm like, yeah. I was like, here's the title. Okay, here's your check, and just walk back in. Didn't start it, didn't wow. look at it, and it blew my mind. And then that was the beginning of the end because when we made that video, they started being sued by multiple people. People were selling flood cars, damaged cars, salvage cars. People were duplicating titles and duplicating VINs, which that's why they were getting sued like in Texas and Chicago because they were um, selling people stolen cars. Oh my so gosh. imagine buying a car from a reputable, massive dealership you know, and then finding out that it's stolen and then the feds come banging on your door because the GPS says it's over here or they, they tried to go get it for, uh, fixed at a dealership and they ran the VIN and they found out it was it was stolen. So they had multiple lawsuits. And then on top of that, as a dealer, you know, you're supposed to be in charge of your paperwork. So if you buy a car from me, I'm on a time limit. I got to get you your title or the bank, the title within 30 days. And they don't hire anybody that does title clerking. They always send it out to some third-party company. So they got their license almost pulled in Texas, Illinois, and Florida because of that. They're actually, they got, they were able to grace by it. They had to buy back, I think it was like 200 cars from people. But now they're being sued again because people have been waiting six, seven months. They still haven't gotten their plates. They still haven't gotten their titles. And the the scary thing is, is they lose about twenty-five to thirty-five hundred dollars mm -hmm. per car yeah. on every transaction. So their joke was, "Well, we're going to buy a Dessa, which is a major auto auction. If we buy this auction, we're going to be able to lower our costs by a thousand dollars by shipping and by repairing your cars. But if you're losing two thousand dollars a car, it doesn't matter if you save a thousand; you're still upside down a grand. And so they did that just for another round of funding." just to basically kick the can down the road. So I don't even know how they're doing this, but we were talking about this when their stock was, I think at like 310. And we we're just like, oh man, if I, I'm not much of a trader, but like mm -hmm. if I could short them, I would short the hell out of them. And next thing you know, 
I think it's now what twenty seven, twenty six dollars. You know, is what their 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 uh, shares are trading at. And the worst thing is, is they keep getting bailed out by these companies. And it blows my mind how people are just so blindly giving these people money. Like, oh, this this is legit. We're just we're taking a market share. That's the tech way. Mm. Market share, market yeah. share, market share. We don't have to show you anything that makes money. Just market They're share. So bad. Zillow was doing the, the exact same thing when they were buying properties. It was the Zillow instant offers where basically you could oh. go on, you type in your address, you give them information, and they'll spit you out an offer. And they'll buy your house cash. Um, and all they'll do is they'll send one rep to go and just, you know, take a visual once over, make sure everything's fine. Make sure the roof but, is there. But yeah, but uh, people started reporting that Zillow was paying 5% over uh, what people were getting in terms of their offers. An already inflated value, Zillow will come in and beat that by 5% just to buy the property. Yeah. And people started reporting on Reddit first uh, before they discontinued. People showed that they would sell their house to Zillow Instant Offers. They would wait a month. They'd see Zillow list the house on Zillow, no offers, and then they would reduce the price below what they paid for it. Yeah. And so people were joking, be like, well, I'm going to sell my house to Zillow Instant Offers so I could buy it back cheaper. <laughs> but but basically, the, the whole business model was broken because the people that they hired didn't care. I mean, they, they were just hiring so many people who just had had quotas to fill i'm sure it's just like okay we got to buy x amount of houses to buy market share and that's how they they uh, yeah. spun it that yeah it's a temporary loss but we're going to take over the market with instant offers and people are going to use us yeah uh and then they discontinued that yeah and so yeah. that that was their their leverage They're like well if we buy an auction house we can control the flow of vehicles so if we overpay for a car too much we'll just take it to the yeah. auction and get our money back and they are literally losing their ass on every single car. And the worst thing is, is I think that their last round of funding got turned down. I think they were trying to go after like another 110 million. I think they only got approved for, I think it was like 80 million. And so now they're like basically running on just a very bare bones skeleton crew trying to get as much money, but they're still losing. They're saying it's even more now it's $2,700 average per car. So if they keep losing this money, I don't see how they're going to last within the next six months to a year, but that's what most of the, the news outlets when I did that video, that's what they mm -hmm. all wanted to interview about was they're, they're all betting the same thing. They called it a Ponzi scheme. So I didn't say it, but they did, but that's what they believe that it is because all their loans I thought it was a lead gen for the loan company because they own Bridgecrest and mm -hmm. another company that, that does all their loans. And so, you know, think about it. If you're getting a billion dollars in loans at average, let's say five to 8%, I mean, the, the interest you're going to make on that is just astronomical. Mm -hmm. So even if they file bankruptcy on Carvana, they can hang out for the next three to five years and make all that money. Not including that the father and the son were selling off stock at the 300, uh, dollar peak as it rode its way down they stopped selling because they pretty much ran out of stock so it's very interesting if you get time look up that it mm. blows my mind i'm i'm not much on that end but when i saw what they were doing i'm like nobody's noticing this and now everybody's just like oh my god it's a sham it's a sham and i'm like should have said it about a year ago wow how do people make money from this Oof. well i can't give out financial advice but i can say that if you're gonna short or bet against anybody i would definitely do any type of major institution like this ally ally has their own they're publicly traded right mm -hmm. like they're i remember their ceo went on tv saying that they're doing great and they're they have the highest uh prime loan default rate out of all the banks from what i saw on nice. a bank sheet yeah it's them wells fargo bank of america and then like a bunch of these other little small banks so i think that right there like i said we we know that subprime lenders are going to have repos because they just were they're more riskier with their loans but when you start seeing prime lenders people that are getting like two three four percent start defaulting on their yeah. loans like yeah the repos for a bank like ally 
Mm-hmm. How much do they have in loans in relation to everything else? Now, don't they just package their loans and resell them? Every bank, and that's one funny thing that I, I explained to another person, they didn't believe me. Every bank keeps a, a chunk of their portfolio to, to make interest off of, but a lot of them bundle the paper and they sell it to other banks because they don't want the risk. So if they think the paper is risky, they'll bundle it and they'll sell it to another bank. And the funny thing is, is every bank gets allocated so much money every month, every quarter to lend and they got to lend it because if not, they won't get the next chunk of money or the next chunk of money will be a little bit less. So the way I describe it is almost like musical chairs. You know, well, I'm going to bundle, I'm going to buy this paper from Graham and I'm going to make 3% or 2% and then I'm going to hold it for six months and then I'm going to sell it to you, Jack, for another maybe one point, two points, whatever else. And it, it just keeps going around in circles. Everybody that we didn't do enough loans, let's go buy some portfolio. And they just keep literally moving it around and around. And eventually when the music stops, and like I said, the, the prices fall. Now your portfolio assets are worth, you know, about 75% of what the actual portfolio is. That's when they're going to be screwed because nobody's going to want to buy it. They're going to want to buy it for 50 cents on the dollar and no, with no interest back in. And they're going to be like, oh, well, I don't want to sell it for that because I paid, you know, Jack X amount of dollars for it. And, and that's it. And that's, like I said, that's what's going to lead to all the banks really tightening down and no longer lending. And that's what scares me is the prices are going to be the prices. But when the lending stops, then it doesn't even matter what the prices is because if the banks are not lending and they're so afraid of this, it starts with cars and it usually will work its way up to commercial loans, real estate. And because a lot of the, the big banks don't care. It's the small banks, your, your mm. local credit unions, your everything else like that. If you look like at America First Credit Union here, majority of their, their assets are in auto loans. I think their auto loan portfolio and their housing portfolio are almost like matched side by side. You know? But they do that because they make more interest and make more money off of, of cars. That's why a lot of people like to buy car paper. That's why a lot of these hedge funds buy that. But now it's, like I said, now it becomes, yeah, it's more money, but now it's a riskier asset because, one, it's depreciating, and two, like these people are driving them off, crashing them, not having insurance on them. So that's kind of what's going on with that. How are you trying to make money off this? What are you doing differently? um, What I'm doing right now is I've been working a lot directly with banks to put in offers to purchase cars directly before they go to the auction. So most banks, they don't like to sell to dealers because dealers, most of them are most, most dealers are assholes. So, you know, and you could say a few naughty words and we'll, we'll bleep them out for the the children who watch the iced coffee hour. Yeah. Most of the, uh, (laughs) the dealers are not very nice guys. And so, um, they don't like to deal with them because they're always lowballing and stuff like that. So the, Banks have to get three competitive bids or ticket to auction. So I'm one of the few people that are able to go to these these dealers and buy some of these cars. And normally I buy cheap cars. I don't like to stay extend myself any further because cheap cars, they're cash. They move quickly. I take them to the auction. I can sell 20, 30 of them every week, not have any headaches. But recently, as you guys seen, we've been getting these exotic cars left and right. All these people that had yeah. PPP loans that put, took 100K out of their PPP loan, put it down on a Rolls Royce, never made a payment. You know, that's more of the stuff that we're starting to see now, which is really scary. Could you talk about that? Because I see you going to L.A. and you post these pictures of these cars, like a, you know, a kind of crash dash Aston Martin, Rolls Royces, Audis, really nice cars, and you're buying them and bringing them back. A few you've explained were repos, and you've shown up, and like the guys is like, "Yep, yeah, here's the keys. I get it." Can yeah. you explain like how how you do this, like how you're involved in this, and like how, how does someone be? Uh, get the ability to go and do that? Um, well, first, you got to be a dealer or an auto broker. That's the very first thing. Um, the next thing is building a really strong relationship with a bank or lending institution because a lot of the banks, they're not dealers. 
They don't care about any of that. They just want to get rid of the asset. To them, it's not a car. It's just a, it's a pain in their butt. The sooner they get it off their books, they can go out and lend more money. So what I do is I'll go to like a repo yard or a holding yard and I'll try to get a hold of the banks first before they go to the auction. And I'll try to say, look, I'll buy all those cars at once right now. I'll just write a check and try to get everything I possibly can. They show me what they owe, you know, how much money they're upside down in it, whatever else. If I can pay a little bit more on some cars and save a little bit of money on the other cars, then I'll buy the deals. And I think that's why a lot of the banks like me because no dealer ever wants to overpay for a car. They'll overpay at the auction, but if they buy a car from a friend or a bank, they always want to lowball them. And so that's one of the things that I try to do is to purchase every single thing from them directly. Now, when we actually go out to do repos, like some of these companies, if I physically go out there and help them repo the car, because some of these banks are back East or it's like a small mom and pops bank or credit union, they don't have the facilities or the personnel to do it. So we'll literally go door knocking for them. We'll knock on the door and we're always nice. Hey, you know, we're here with so-and-so bank. They told us that, you know, you're going to be surrendering your car today. You know, can I get the keys? Thank you so much. Is there anything in the car you need to get? Most of the people are pretty chill. Wait, so they know ahead of time that you're going to be there. You don't have to show up. Because I've seen videos on TikTok where the guy pulls up in a truck is like, all right, we found the car. And they're parked outside of a restaurant. They tow the car and the guy goes, yo, what are you doing with my car? Yeah. And so no. like, so the, you ask them instead of like. I, okay, no, I'm, just for full transparency, when, when it's yeah. my loan and I had my dealership, unfortunately, I did it the other way. Okay. I would show up in my tow truck and I would just snatch the car up. I wouldn't even talk to him. Because every time I try to be nice and civil, they would want to start fights, pull out guns. Uh, I had one guy sick his dog on me, you know, some guy. How did that? Okay, what happened when the, when he sicked his dog on sick you? Sick the dog. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel that. bad. It's probably made me look bad. But when the dog jumped, I literally just threw him up over me and he just flew over the truck. And so, <laughs> that wait, totally wait. Bad. was it a small dog? No, it was, I, I, it was he, like some did, pit bull mix something. How did he go crazy. over the truck? Oh, because as soon as I saw him, I just literally just freaked out and went like this. And he just. Just was continued he, was he on fine? floating. Oh, yeah, he was already in the air. Well, no, was he fine? I didn't want to check. I was more worried about getting in the car and getting out of there before I got bit in the ass or shot. He, he said, sick him. Yeah, no, he literally grabbed yeah. the dog and went like this and threw him, and the dog jumped in the oh air, and I just gosh. went over there. Um, I had another guy. He he threw a Molotov cocktail in the car and caught no. it on fire. He threw a Molotov co- I was like, did this guy just like sit there in his kitchen and actually cook this up, or was he just like sitting outside with it? But all of a sudden, wow. we look back, and I see a bottle break. I'm like, oh, this guy just threw a bottle at the car. And next thing you know, my I have, it's called the spotter. It's the guy behind me that finds the car in the regular yeah. car. And then I come in a tow truck. He's like, dude, the car's on fire. The guy threw something. I think it was a Molotov cocktail. I was like, are you serious? We pulled over. Car burnt to a crisp. And wow. then the guy, the guy tried to sue us because we, uh, it was full of his kids' gear, his baby seats and uh, uh, his music equipment, and everything else, so personal like, property. Yeah, and I'm like, you caught your own car on fire. And then he tried to call the insurance company to get claimed to get paid, and then we told him that he did it. So they paid us; they didn't give him any extra. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, I got way too many stories. Well, of those I want, I want to hear some more stories. Yeah, tell us another story. Oh, jeez. Um, God, what can I tell you? So, so what like, about like uh, personally endangering stories? <laughs> Or um, your life was threatened, Lucky. That's what Jack is getting at. Yeah, like, so one time we went to go pick up this, this, and this one's going to laugh because this one's super embarrassing, but it's pretty hilarious. So we had this guy that um, wanted, we had this really cool, um, it was um, a Ford um, Explorer minivan that was all pimped out. It had TVs, had all this stuff. It's a rare kind of van truck thing. It's hard to explain, but it has a folding out bed in the back. It's made for camping. Right. So we're like, okay, this is going to be cool. We're going to snatch up this car because I was trying to be nice to the guy. He wouldn't answer my phone calls. So I'm like, I'm just going to pop the car. So I wind up popping this car and I'm driving out of the way. All of a sudden, 
the doors fly open. This guy is butt naked with like two other people in the back of this van. And one of the, the I say this bigger guy rolls out and falls out of the van, butt naked, rolling in the middle of uh, uh, Desert Inn and uh, Paradise. And I'm like trying to take off with the car. And all of a sudden the cops pull us over. We wind up getting arrested that night because they said we did it like unlawfully. But that one, I guess, wasn't really that threatening, but it was just absolutely hilarious. I've never seen somebody naked like fall out of the back of a van. But I've had... Like, you know, wannabe gangbangers pull out guns. I had a pimp one time pull out a gun on us and told us we can't take his car. What do you do in a situation like that? I usually pull my gun out. No. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm not going to get shot. Yeah, yeah, but don't you just say, but do you take the car? The yeah. Of you getting shot if you pull no, it? because most of these guys have never pulled the trigger. So they're, most, they're willing scared. to risk that, like take the chance because you don't know these people. It's kind of hard. It's like reflex. I mean, think about it. It's like if I throw yeah. something in your face, you're going to want to go like this. So as soon as I see it, that's the first thing I do. So that sounds weird. Like, like if you pull out a gun, or if not you, but the other person, but do, you, do you like aim it? Guys, or can do we you call it a, point can we call it a, a, a boomstick from now on? Please? Yeah. Oh, I'm oh sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if someone pulls out a boomstick and they point the boomstick at you, do you just like point it back at them or do they just show you a gun and then you show them a gun? Sometimes if they, they do the little flexing, the showing, then I'll, I'll show mine boomstick or I'll actually like, if they point it at me, then I'll point back. But that's, those are very, yeah. that's only happened but, twice. But why is it, why would that be worth taking the chance? Wouldn't you say that they point a boomstick at you? All right. You know what? Let me, you know, leave, call the police, handle it another way. I, I I'll be honest with you. That's stupid. I don't recommend anybody doing that. It's just, it was more of a reaction thing. It's just like, so what happened in these, in these two instances where you guys had to each of your boots? Oh, you're going to, on, on the one guy, the, the pimp, he actually came, paid the car off in full, apologized and brought me rolling uh, smoke barbecue. Said he just broke up with his girlfriend. He lost his main girlfriend mm-hmm. and he was really heartbroken and upset and frustrated. That was probably the nicest one. The other guy, um, he called the cops on me, but when the cops showed, I guess he had like two warrants out for his arrest, and so they, they ended up taking him away. I thought I was going to go to jail because I, I admitted, I was like, yeah, I did point a gun at him, but he pointed one at me first or boomstick at me. Is it true people do this thing? Oh, yeah. Like I had the thing like we, we used to have these crazy like um, off-site sales, and we used to do like these crazy giveaways. So I used to give away a car like once a month like to do something funny and we actually have people that will show up because they see all the people they think there's a lot of money they'll try to show up and like you know point the finger thing like hey man i got money i know you got all these people's tax returns in the bank give it to me you know it's funny at one time they did it with my dad my dad just told him to get out of there and he threw a chair at him and the guy wound up running away which i don't recommend doing that but it's it's one of the things of the business i don't like that's why the I repo to, part the repo the... the the being you know like the people are super aggressive like i love the the giving cars away with the funny contest we used to do the we, we whoever sang the worst song we'd give you a car um if you throw a football through a hoop we give you a car you know uh just funny stuff but then you get the bad things where you have people like that's the thing everyone thinks dealers are bad and they're horrible people for every one bad dealer there's ten thousand bad customers um, I'll tell you some of the bad stuff. Like we've had people like lie to us about um, their bank check stubs. The they'll give us fake ones. They'll give us a fake social security number. It's called the CPN. They'll give us this number. We'll run it. Oh, everything's good. This person's got good credit. All of a sudden, two weeks later, the bank calls me. Hey, Lucky, this loan is not legit. These people have fake documents. I'm like, oh crap. So the bank wants their money back. Now I got to go find the car. Most time when these people commit fraud, they just disappear with the cars. So why is that falling you? So every dealer has to sign an agreement with a bank. So, and this is the part that people don't know about. And this is why people like, why was the dealer so mad? Why won't he lower the price? It's because as a dealer, we're on the hook for 
depending on your recourse, it could be a one payment to three payment recourse. So if you as the consumer doesn't make the first three payments and you just take off, I have to give the bank 100% of the money back and mm. I have to chase you for it. But as long as they make the first few payments, then then, it's... then we're in the clear. But a lot of these people, they, they don't. And that's what we're seeing now. A lot of people are first, second, third payment defaults. Or the, the one thing is if they give you fraudulent documents and they can prove it, then they can come back a year from now and say, hey, uh, this document was fake. This is not a real driver's license. We need our $30,000 back. And you're like, well, I don't know where the guy is. It's been a year. The car's gone. Maybe it's in Mexico or Canada or something. And we have no recourse. Have you ever just completely lost cars? Hundreds. What happens? Do you have insurance for that? It's all cost out of the to do pocket. business. That, when people ask me, like, because that was one of the other reasons I left the business is because everybody thought we were rich. When you have like 200 cars on your lot and you're selling cars and you see all this stuff, they're like, man, lucky you're doing really well. You got all this money. I was broke. I'm not even going to lie. Most dealers will lie. I had $2 million in, in, in uh, flooring lines, which is lines of credit. We were constantly paying payments. So every time you drive by a dealership, think of like each car on their lots costing them 500 to $1,000 a month. And then every month we lose maybe one, maybe two cars, whether somebody steals them, somebody does bank fraud and, and pulls us over. You know, um, I've, man, I, like I said, they, they do whatever it takes. They'll run off with your cars. I've had people I had to chase them down on test drives, like nice mm. old people. Oh, we just want to drive it around. Okay. No problem, folks here. Go ahead. Drive it around. Feel safe. Let me know what you think. And the, we, this older couple, I think they're in their eighties. They drove out my car into Mexico. And wow. we had to give it. Yeah. They left, they left it on the, at a bus stop and said, sorry. and left a note. Did they just need a ride? Probably they were broke and needed a ride and like that. Yeah, was the, you know, who do you I, send to go pick it up in Mexico? Um, we have repo companies all over the U.S., so we just tell them to pick it up and take it to a local auction because by the time I fly down there or ship it back, it just wasn't worth the headache or the problem. But that's some of the stuff that we have to deal with, you know. And and the worst thing is, is like we dealers will be more aggressive. They'll tell us that we need more money down. We have to do this, and people are like dealers are so mean and rude. Like a lot of people don't realize if you have, let's say, you're a first time buyer. And I'm selling you that 2020 Toyota Camry we were talking about. If you have good credit or okay credit, the bank is probably going to charge me like maybe a thousand, eight hundred bucks to buy your deal. But if you have bad credit, they could charge me up to two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, and then on top of that, they'll add two to three month recourse. So now I was hoping to make maybe three thousand dollars on the car, but if your buy fee is twenty five hundred dollars for the bank to take your loan, I'm making five hundred dollars. I got to pay my sales guy a commission of five hundred bucks my finance person of, you know, 250 and I have, you know, office personnel that needs 10% plus overhead. That's why I, I hated the business. It's like the banks made all the money. One thing I've never understood about car dealerships is you talk with the sales rep and then you give them a price you're comfortable paying the car. Let's say it's, it's listed at $30,000 and you say, I can do $28,000. And then they go and they talk to their manager, right? Like what is that interaction like? And also how do you actually come upon a price they were able to agree on for the car is there a price floor that is the base that you can hit? As a consumer, how can you find that price floor? Oh, that's the problem. A lot of dealerships uh, just play a lot of stupid games. I never did that. Like when, you know, like advertising, like you looking for a car and you see, oh, look, this car's $30,000. That's the car I want. So you go drive there. It's 30000 like origination plus dock fee plus mm, destination fee yeah. plus service conditioning, reconditioning, whatever fee, you know? So now it's $38,000 and you're just like, that's not what I wanted. I wanted this for 30. So that's the first one. So I never did that. If my car was 35 grand, it's 35,000. I put it on there. I didn't care if car gurus told me I was overpriced. Craigslist, Facebook marketplace. I'd rather have you show up knowing the price. That's That was the first step. But a lot of dealers, I'll tell them, hey, look, with your credit 
And what I bought the car for, I need to make X amount of dollars. This is what I'm going to charge you. I need to get 32500 You tell buyers that. Mm -hmm. I would show them. And what would they? What was their reaction? Do you think it was most, actually it worked most, in your favor? Yeah, well, because it wasn't bullshit. I was like, you know, hey, this is what it is, folks. If you have good credit, I could I can go down to thirty one. But you have bad credit, bank's going to charge me fifteen hundred dollars. And sometimes I'd even show them, look, this is this is what it is. This is what you're charging me. And it, sometimes they'd freak out and they had no idea. Most people don't know how it works. That's why I try to talk about it on my channel. But like most of these dealers, how can I get gross? How can I get the most money? So instead of making your, I'd rather get you pleasant in and out in an hour and you tell all your friends about me. I only made a thousand dollars off you, but hopefully you'll tell, you know, Graham, then you'll tell Alex, you know, and, and go so on and so on. These guys, they don't care. The old dealerships of the guys that like used to send you Christmas cards and stuff like that, those days are gone. These guys just want to rip your head off, bury you in a car and then kick you down the road. And just, it's, it's not their problem. Me, I'd rather make sure you're happy. Don't put you too far into debt. So this way, every year you can come back and buy another car for me. That's what I want. And a lot of dealers got away from that. They got really focused on the gross. I was more <laughs> on the volume model, like Walmart. So what about when the sales rep goes and speaks with a manager? What are they trying to establish? Does the sales rep already know the price floor for the base they can tell the oh, car 100%. for? And like, yeah. Okay. 100, well, sometimes some dealers will tell the salespeople, but some don't because they don't want the salespeople to give away the car. Yeah. And so I have a feeling if they it. really knew, they would automatically just come back yeah. down to that price because they, they don't care. They want the sale. Yeah. Any type yeah. of tension, they're like, the customer's like, oh, yeah, this car is 32000 32000 Okay, 2850 You know, it's yeah. like they, yeah, they want to avoid that. So so on a, let's say, a $30,000 car or a Camry, let's say it's, it's it's you know, thirty five or whatever, what is the price, what would the price floor be about for a car of that price? Um, usually you take about 10%, 15% off of that. So let's say if you put it out for $32,000, they are probably into it like maybe twenty eight. 28 you know but that's why like people don't understand car business is still a business they got to make money mm -hmm. i hated it when people were like well you're making 500 bucks <laughs> i'm like are you kidding me i go would you wake up in the morning and take on all this debt and talk to people like you for 500 dollars and I, I used to love telling them that they would get so mad people like me i was like yeah you're sitting here yelling at me being mean to me because i always used to go out like my my commercials that's why i started doing youtube but another reason is because i had these funny commercials so i was I always wanted to make people laugh and joke. So when they came into my dealership, they were smiling instead of like angry and mad and don't talk to me. I don't want you to sell me anything. I'll get you when I need you. Okay, no problem, folks. I'll be standing right over here. Let me know whatever you need. I get yelled at more. Hey, good morning, folks. How you guys doing? You know, go get bent. Get out of here. Kick rocks. You know, and I'm just like, dude, you're in my business. Yeah. Like, I can be a Because they think you're trying to sell them something. Yeah. So if you're nice, it's like, oh, he's buttering me up. He's going to try to extract money from me now. Oh, yeah. I used to love it like that. I don't think, like, when people try to play hardball, I don't want to argue. I'm like, look, folks, I can do 2850 That's all I can do. I want it 27 Sir, I can do 2850 That's it. Oh, and they start arguing. I'm like, look, just take this or get out of my shop. I don't care. I don't care if I sell it to you or I sell it to somebody else. Somebody's going to buy it. So it's either you or them. And I'll get to the point where I just started kicking people out of my lot. I know I probably lost a lot of sales out of it, but it just wasn't worth the headache. And I'd rather not burn a relationship with the customer where I'm like, look, folks, I'm being 100% honest. This is all we can afford. And this is what we're going to do. And so I do admit it was a pain in the butt, but I have been recently talking about maybe opening up another dealership here in Vegas. So I'm kind of... When you initially had that dealership, what kind of dealership was it? You know, when I sold my dealership, it was the happiest day of my life, but it was also like the saddest because I actually do enjoy like, you know, hanging out with, with people, selling cars Yeah. because I tell people, it's like, you know, like you were real estate, you know, when you sold somebody a house, 
you know, you see them light up, they're super excited, you know, you're making commission, but it's like you're a part of somebody's like life, future, whatever else. And the way I did it is just, I, I actually had a lot of fun. The last few years, I, I stopped caring about it as a business and I made it more of like, just like, I hate to say a social experiment, just having fun and doing whatever. Um, but the reason why I'm thinking about doing it now is I started back in 2012 when everything was going bad and everything was going down and people told me I was a fool just like when they were telling me to buy real estate, same thing with this. So I decided, you know what, why not get back into it? Because this time around, I want to do more of the financing myself. I want to hold my own paper. I want to become like my own. Is that dangerous? It is a little dangerous. You know, you, you are financing people with your own money, but the profits are just crazy. Now, can you pull money together from investors? Like, let's just say, hey, you know, like I could give you some financing, give you 500 grand, go and loan this out as you see fit. Can you, can you accept money from other people yeah. to then yeah, yeah, loan out? Yeah. Really? So uh, part of the, the group that I'm uh, talking to, they actually own a hedge fund and they were talking about giving me money to go out and do loans. Cause we were kind of talking about like, you know, like the whole influencer, uh, uh, auto sales, like financing people like ourselves, where, you know, if you go into a bank and you're like, Hey, I'm a YouTuber, here's my bank statements. I make, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a month off of YouTube. Most banks don't have a category to stick you in. Mm -hmm. They put you as like self-employed, something bad. And then a lot of people get turned down, especially for like 60 to like $120,000 car financing. So I figured I may do a few cars like that to build like the influencer brand and, and do specialty financing, but also to help a lot of people. Because I remember in 2012, when I started, I was doing a lot of cheap cars. All my cars were under 9,999 bucks, under 10 grand. And I helped so many people, people that I saw during the 08, you know, 05, 06, 07, 08, that were owning construction companies that owned three to five to six to 10 houses. You know, they lost everything and now they're buying a ten thousand dollar car for me to get back on their feet mm. so not saying it i'm hoping it doesn't happen this go around but i think that the market's going to be wide open and a lot of these dealers are so over leveraged that i think now the time is right to actually get back in just for fun's sake i got two more questions for you okay so oh, yeah. number one is before this you said you're going to tell us how you actually make money and how we're going to be very surprised by that so if we get into that then also we have three patreon questions that we're going to get to right after that so how do you make money lucky how do I make money? Um, first is OnlyFans. No, I'm joking. Uh, first is basically um, training dealers, setting up dealerships, um, setting up different types of franchises, almost like Houston with his chicken. I do the same thing for dealerships. I try to set them up, uh, do the correct things, get them lines of credit, financing, set up the rental car companies, lines of credit, help them get um, fleet lines so they can multiply their vehicles. But the big thing that I do is I actually go out and I buy portfolio from different banks. So... One of my jobs or one of the things I like to do for fun is I'll go talk to banks and see how their numbers are performing. So a lot of my numbers that I get is a lot of inside information. So when people are like, well, where can I look this up or how can I look at it? You can't unless you work for the bank, which they'll never tell you. That's how I see the default rates. I see what the average loan is, what the average payment is, which is a thousand bucks, which is awful. And so we go around and my job is to go basically knock on doors, ask the bank, hey, do you have any paper you want to sell? Three to five to $10 million dollars. We only do those chunks. And then what do you do with those huge chunks? So once they tell me what they, they have, I look at it, I put a value onto it. And then my job is to go find another bank that's willing to purchase it. So you wholesale or wholesale paper. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like how you guys wholesale houses, you get the note sure. and then we just shop it around exact same thing, but just with banks. Okay. Your dealership training kind of sounds like if you listen to our Homozy podcast, what do you did with the gym launch? Yeah. 
100%. It's like, it's the same concepts. Once you learn the system and you can expand it, like that's why I started doing YouTube because it's like, I loved marketing. All my funny ads on Facebook just blew up. So I figured, let me try YouTube, you know? And, uh, but I really like the fact of, like, I don't want to get out of the automotive industry because I loved it so much, but I keep trying to get away with it. And I'm trying to do YouTube more and more. But the more I do YouTube, I feel like more people are like, dude, show us how to do this. Show us how to do that. Come on with the course. Oh, no, I, I have a course, but it's I want to show people. I don't want to charge people. I want to show them like like when we walk into the repo yards, we walk into the auction or like next time when we go to L.A., um, I'll take in one of the repo yards. I think you'll laugh. You'll see mm. Ferraris, Lamborghinis, trucks, motorhomes, taco trucks, like everything. You know, watches, like when I go to the feds, oh, that's one you got to come with me. When we go to the Fed auctions, when they impound all the stuff from the drug dealers, we bid on couches, TVs. Um, I remember we, we bought this like uh, like 3,000 pound elephant, like marble statue. We couldn't move it. We ended up selling it to another guy because we were trying to get it back here to Vegas. <laughs> but you could buy the most crazy stuff at some wow. of these auctions. Okay. And that's something I'll hopefully in the future I'll be able to take you guys to. And then what about uh, any any other income sources you could think of? Um, I mean, obviously the Is flipping that, cars. Yeah. You guys see that on my YouTube channel and Instagram. We go out, we buy cars from the auction, stuff like that. Um, the next one is we're, we're getting ready to set up a uh, bank where we can actually start funding multiple dealers. And we're purchasing vehicles from them. So almost like um, the company's called My Vehicle Value. It's still up and running. We're still going through the software phase, but um, we're buying about a thousand cars a month through California, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado. Walk us through, because I know you've had a bunch of different jobs and you've worked in the car industry, but doing a lot of different things within the car industry. Walk us through your income over time, how it's gone up, how it's gone down, how it, you know, the 08 recession affected it, and what you were doing at each time. Oh, geez. Well, when I first started, this was back in like 2000. I had a shop in Chinatown and I was just just a regular mechanic. I was 18 years old. I wanted to work on cars at that time. I actually wanted to do music, but I ended up getting in the cars. So I was like, I'm going to make some money and then pay for school and whatever else. And so I started working on just different types of cars in the area. I started doing the body kits. This is when fast and furious was really popular. We worked on the most junkiest cars ever. And I think I was clearing maybe $30,000 a year after paying all my expenses. Mm. And well, I back thought, in 2000, you know, I was yeah, but I thought I was balling. Yeah. I was an 18 year old kid. My friends, Adjusting for inflation, that's like 700 grand. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. And so, but I mean, I was, I was 18 years old. I had this like crazy Mazda RX seven. And so that's I sick. yeah, so I started fixing up more and more cars fast forward two years later. And I started to get into customizing. I was like, I want to, I want to work on some nicer cars. I want to do like, this is when pimp my ride and overhauling was like at its peak. Everybody and their grandma was like, bro, I got 20 grand. Let's do something crazy to my car. So we just started doing all this crazy stuff. That was my first year. I broke a hundred thousand dollars. I think I was like in my like early twenties and I was just super That's excited. really good. Yeah. Man. And I was like, man, this is great. I can't wait. So we opened up a body shop after that fast forward a few years and we were doing really, really well. And that was the first year. That's when I was at my worst, my douchiest. I was a 25 year old kid living in Turnberry towers back in the day. I think my rent in my penthouse was like six grand a month. I was driving a 05 or 06 Bentley Continental GT convertible. Wow. I mean, you couldn't tell me nothing. I thought I was the man. I arrived. I was such an idiot. Did you still work on cars or were you just Oh, yeah, no, I worked on cars. I, I realized this is when I started developing my skills for marketing because I would hire people and they were way faster than me. I could do stuff better but they could do it much, much faster than me. That's when I decided to step back in more of a sales role management because my guys couldn't sell a job to save their lives. Where I'd go in there, hey man, we're gonna spend 20 grand. This is what we're gonna do, this is what we're gonna do, let's do, sign here. And it just kind of just kind of flowed. So then I just started door knocking, asking people for their business. And that's actually what led me to doing like exotic cars. 
when I was door knocking, I ran across uh, Dream Car Exotics. They were the biggest rental car company here in Vegas. There was no Ferrari Lamborghini dealership here, so there was nowhere for them to send their cars. They either had to send them to Scottsdale or ship them to L.A. So I was like, well, let me work on your cars. I figured working on a Ferrari can't be that hard. It must be simple. It's all the same stuff. And we worked on a few 355s and 360s. They're easier to work on than a Honda Accord. Wow. I, I thought it'd be super complicated. We need all these crazy tools. No. So we were doing timing belts, swapping out clutches because these guys were doing clutch drops in these rentals and blowing them up. Um, I flew to New York, did this like training class for uh, a lot of these Italian cars, came back and I was like, I'm going to do exotic cars. I'm going to specialize in this. And so we reopened, rebranded. I think the company, it was um, uh, Las Vegas Motorworks. We did nothing but exotic cars and Highland cars. Anything under 60K, I would consider them a peasant and throw them out of my shop. That was the year I went down in income. I went, I think I was making like a hundred grand. My, what were you making before that when you were about doing 250? That was yeah. when you were doing the Bentley Continental. And yeah, the, I was, I was working on regular cars. This is why the, yeah. the, the switch came on. So during that time, I saw these people that couldn't afford these cars. You know, they, they'd buy a brand new $80,000 truck and then fix it up, drop 20 grand in the turn on sell it and go buy another one. Or then to go buy a Maserati, uh, a Ferrari, a Lambo, you know, and they just kept buying all these crazy cars. And I was charging these people 10, 20, $30,000 and they were all using their credit cards. Nobody's paying cash anymore, which I started then with that because my, my credit card bill was insane. But after paying my people, after paying my extravagant living expenses, I, I made $150,000 less that year. And it blew my mind. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start branching out. So I opened up two or three locations of auto repair, doing regular cars. And I got up to about back to the 250 marker working on regular cars. But I got too caught up in the mystique of working on the exotic cars. I thought that was the way because everybody wanted to come hang out of my shop. I had a couch area like this mm -hmm. where my friends would come out. And this was a glass wall. And we'd watch the guys work on the cars and do stuff like that. And I thought it was really cool. And that's when I got on this TV wow. show. If you Google it, it's TLC's Rides. I was on the... Uh, the pilot for that they came here and shot it in vegas so that was way back in 06 07 i think that was the prime time of that yeah day. i like was in my ride and i was such an MTV idiot they, after cribs they, yeah, yeah. They, they filmed the pilot and they're like true can life we, oh, can we come back show. and film some more and i'm like oh, are you guys gonna pay me they're like no i'm like why am i gonna film like i thought it was if i would have known now like i did back then i could have been oc choppers or something special but yeah. i just got irritated because i'd i'd put an alternator into a car and they're like, okay, that looks good. Now go ahead and take it back out and walk back and do it again. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just put the alternator in this car. Why am I going to take it back out and go back again? Oh, we want to capture it from a different angle this time. And that's when I first started learning about how uh. these media companies did that. But anyways, I, I told them no. I really lost an opportunity. And then 08 happened. Market collapsed. Everything went bad. I actually decided to join the Army when I was 20-something. I figured I was going to take a break from the car business. Joined the Army and went and flipped houses in Texas for about two years. And then that was fun. I actually, I made more money down there and I was stupid. I missed Vegas and I came back and then I came back to Vegas and then I opened up my dealership and my rental car company. How much were you making flipping houses? Not to sound bad. It was so easy down there because nobody had any style. Everybody was like super country oaky. I know this is probably going to be roasted in the comment section, but like they, everything was barnyard and wooden doors and I hated it. So we were doing everything modern. And so we'd buy these like little tiny houses for like 20, 30 grand. I mean, this is so cheap back then. This is like in Arlington and Fort Worth and Dallas. Um, and we would just buy these houses, modernize them. We'd put, you know, uh, smart dials, smart uh, keypads in them. We would do modern fixtures. We would do like concrete countertops way back then. We were doing hardwoods instead of carpet. Everybody was doing carpet and like 
veneer walls. It was awful. I, their style down there was just completely weird. So we just copied everything we did here in Vegas, and it just worked out really, really well. We met a hard money lender out there, and we didn't ever look for houses. He just gave us all the houses that people defaulted on, which was really bad. That's when I first really learned about repos. Yeah. But this guy had so many houses. He had a fund of just just giving people money to get houses. Oh yeah, these guys gave us twenty grand down. They they tore down everything down the studs, and they found termites and they walked away from the property. Do you guys want it? I'll give you six months, no payments and no interest. Sure, we take it on. He wouldn't. We balance out his books. We fix the house up, turn on, sell it. We make our profit. He make his vig back. His investors were happy. Mm. It was really really good. He was actually mad when we left. When I came back here to Vegas, I reached out to him to see if he could get back into flipping houses. And his investors didn't want to do the Vegas market because at that time we were one of the biggest ones that crashed. Yeah. So then I just got back into cars and opened up my dealership and started that way. Because like I said, when I came back here. People that I saw that were driving Lambos and Ferraris were driving like 2003 Toyota Corollas and Camrys because they couldn't afford anything. That's the first time I learned the term cross-collateralization. When they lost one thing, they lost it all. And it was mm. crazy. I mean, people fell hard. So I opened up the dealership, started selling cars. At that time, I think we were clearing maybe $80,000 a year at that time. Wasn't a whole lot. And then it's the same thing. I went bigger. I got the two lots, peaked at like 250, 300 cars still would make like 100k a year couldn't couldn't crack the mold until i started doing uh these like when i just stopped caring really i started doing the funny ads started selling uh i hate to say it started selling cheaper cars again and just got back to the basics and that's why on my channel i can do exotic cars i can do all this fancy stuff but if you just sell cheap affordable transportation your money you make your money by far you usually make double or triple where when I sell like a like this Bentley Bentayga or this Rolls Royce, I'm gonna sell it. I'll make like fifty grand, but I tied up one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and it's gonna sit there for you know a month and a half while I'm fixing it and waiting for parts. Mm. I could have bought seventy, eighty regular cars and maybe doubled my money off of that by then. So that's kind of why I decided to do that. But that was kind of my flow of the business. Now with YouTube and everything else, um, I'm hoping this year to crack the four hundred fifty five hundred K marker. That's my goal. I really want to get get to that point. But my biggest goal is, and you're going to laugh, and I guess his name's Ramsey saying, I want no debt. The only debt I want is my car payment. That's why I don't mind spending a crazy amount on a car because I don't know credit cards. I don't own a house, you know, which people think it's crazy, but I, I can't afford to, or I, I, can't, I can't afford it. I just don't want to afford to overpay for a house. I just think it's stupid. I'd rather just wait and use my money to make me Money's money better off invested in cars at this point. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, no matter what happens, like we talked about investing stocks, I just feel safer with the car market. And now that, you know, the the, the bear market is here and the gravy train's gone and everybody's a, a magical investing wizard, all the money's coming back to the automotive industry for for high interest lending. So I think that it'll open up a lot, a lot of opportunities. That's why I'm interested in starting a dealership now because these guys are going to want to make more money on their investment and they can't get it in the stock market now. So now they're going back to hard money lending with mm. cars and houses. You want to get asked the Patreon questions? Yeah. So for those that don't know, we have a Patreon down below in the description. But uh, part of the perks of that could be asking our guests questions along with a whole bunch of other uh, benefits like getting the episode early without ads, by the way. But uh, what do we got here? Well, first of all, I just want to mention, yeah. I just got a text from an Alex Hormozzi, and he sent me over 
his wife, Layla Hormozy's phone number. And it looks like we're going to have Layla Hormozy on the podcast potentially next Sunday. So if you're still watching at this point, be very excited for next Sunday because that's going to be a crazy episode Yeah, too. you know what? Actually, if you want to get in and a- at ask her questions, uh, we'll link to the Patreon down below in the description. I'm not sure when we're going to be doing this, but potentially you could ask her questions that we'll ask. And that, that brings me yeah. to a great point, Graham. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, okay, guys, oh, Alex, come on. on and get yeah, no soliciting, Alex. Questions. <laughs> All right, let's see. Our Enom Khan says, what is one thing that you would do differently if you could go back in time and who is your mentor? Um, my One of my mentors, the car business, unfortunately, people are not that friendly and they don't want to share knowledge. And so one of the nicest guys I've ever met, his name is, uh, is Tony Fernandez. He owns a dealership here in Vegas. Um, he was one of the few dealers that would give me words of encouragement, tell me a little bit about how to stay away from some of the problems, and just an overall great guy. So I, I wouldn't call, I mean, I guess he could be a mentor because he did teach me quite a lot about the business and about life. So I would say that'd probably be him. And if I could do one thing differently, um, it would be I would have done buy here, pay here, which is doing your own auto loan portfolio way back in the day. Because if I would have done that back when I first started, I'd be just a millionaire. When you're a bank, that's where you make all your money. So that's probably my biggest mistake is I didn't do it. Holding the notes and collecting yeah, the interest. Yeah, I, I was too busy trying to learn other banks' programs because I didn't want the headache. I didn't want the overhead. But then I went up working in the wrong way because at the end of the day, if I would have done that, I would have been doing just like the banks, just sitting back collecting money and selling paper. Now, Colin L. asks, what are your thoughts on sponsorship revenue and what is your plan for your channel if sponsorship revenue declines? I mean, I think it's a great source. I'm probably one of the few channels that I still to this day, I haven't taken really hardly any sponsors. I'm kind of just going off of my own dollar. Like a lot of people don't realize that I spend my own money running my channel. Um, I think I make maybe five, six grand a month in ad revenue, which is not a whole lot, but I would say that, you know, I should have taken it on probably a little bit earlier. I was actually following Graham's thing because mm-hmm. I noticed when you first started, you didn't take a lot of sponsors yeah. and I didn't want to sell out. If I want to have a sponsor, I want it to be something legit where I can either feel it helps my, my audience out or it's something I believe in. Yeah. And unfortunately, my industry and the automotive business, there's not a whole lot I believe in or trust. All right. So this is kind of a, uh, a controversial question mm. from Matan. He says, you've been in the car industry for a long time. You know how all the different companies make money. Is it not obvious to you that Tesla is winning on all fronts and is clearly going to take over the industry if they haven't done so already? Ooh. That's one of my favorite questions They're also making their own materials for their cars, which not a lot of other car companies are doing. Correct. So, like I said, Tesla is great because they were first to market. But if you look at a Porsche Taycan compared to a Tesla, it's like looking like at a Kia and a Ferrari. It's The build quality is completely different. I know these people in Tesla are going to be like, oh, my God, no, it's the best car. Take the time. Look at, like, the technology is there. Their autopilot is much further ahead. Chevy and Hyundai are going to be the first to catch up with it. But when it comes to build quality, they make better uh, products like uh, Ford, Honda, Chevy, Toyota, because just the build quality is much better. Parts, um, being able to fix your car, they have that leaps and bounds ahead of them. Tesla is highly profitable because they're building something that's very niche. They got the Apple effect. You know, this phone costs Mm. A few bucks to make, but it's got the brand behind it and it's got the fans, the loyal fans behind it. So, yeah, they are first to market and they're first to sell direct to consumers. But right now they're constrained. They can't grow any faster unless they physically start buying franchise stores. So and plus too, like a lot of the other manufacturers, their battery life is better than Tesla's. 
You know, so when all these cheaper cars cost half the price and a Kia can go twice the distance as your Tesla, and on top of that, it costs half as much to fix, and they have more battery battery technology where they can repair cells instead of replacing a whole $20,000 battery, which the new ones don't have that. They Tesla fixed that. But, you know, I that's what I believe is everybody's going to catch up to Tesla. Tesla was just first to market. Give it about five years, and the market share is going to change. Because already right now, believe it or not, Volkswagen has more EV vehicles than anybody else coming out next year. I think they have 14 mm. or 15 models. So, you know, like I said, everyone's playing catch up. And so now that they know that the market's there and they're building that infrastructure, which uh, was a Charge America, which is Volkswagen, they're building all these systems. Everybody's just waiting and they're going to unveil their stuff and it's going to be very, very surprising. All right. Cool. Are there any other random things of knowledge or a crazy story or something you had hoped we had asked, something you wanted to share? Oh, geez. Um, I guess I can tell you really quick before we get off um, some of my amazing down payments. So in the car business, we take pretty much everything. We're always talking about cars, whatever else. And I used to run these ads. We'll take anything down, you know. And we had one lady. She brought in like a uh, this puppy. I think it was called a, a Frenchie. And I didn't realize there were like three thousand dollar dogs. And so she brought it in. We gave her like five hundred bucks as a trade return on sold the dog for two grand, which was hilarious. So we started doing these like trade in anything special. We had people bringing in motorized scooters, uh, fake legs. We had one guy a liter- fake leg, a, a fake leg, and they brought it in what as collateral for? Yeah, he's like he's like, what will you give me down? I was like, I'll give you a dollar for it. And hmm. he just he left it there. We were taking <laughs> everything. Uh, we've got. What did you do with the fake leg? I'm, I, I feel uh, like we actually left it. We sold told- it for five hundred bucks. Yeah. The person who <laughs> bought the dog. But, no, that was that was the award for the salesman that sold the most cars that month. So I told him we have leg. a special leg. We have a very special award, and I stuck like like three hundred dollars inside the leg. And then I gave it to him and said, this is your championship cup. Don't lose it. So, but that was one of the things we did, but we've had, I've had people show up with gold bars. I've had people show up with guns. Um, I've had these like strippers one time, like they showed up because my first dealership was right next door to treasures. And so we used to get the dancers coming by all the time and they would ask me, well, Hey, hey I need, I want to get a car. I need to get a car. Oh yeah. Three, $4,000 down. That's all you need. You can roll with this car. Oh, was there anything we could work out? I'm like, yeah, just work out payments. Give me, you know, give me the money and I'll, I'll get you the car. Well, is there anything you could do that maybe you'd like or something that turns you on? And I'm like, yeah, you know what turns me on? What money pay me. And so we used to, I loved it every week. They would try to come in like sweet talk. And I'm like, no. And then uh, that same girl, I won't mention her name because I'm still friends with her on Facebook. She came in one day and we had this, uh, I think it was like a 2014 Lexus IS uh, 300 and it was pearl white with like this pink christian dior interior total stripper car and so she came in and i was like you need six grand down to get this car she's like well i got 1500 bucks i was like great all you need is a few bucks more and you can drive it away hour later she shows up with this older gentleman gives me 1500 bucks oh yeah i'm I'm here for well i almost said her name i'm here for so and so we'll call her misty i'm here for misty let's uh um this is her down payment oh okay cool yeah i i was like are you her dad oh no i'm her boyfriend hour later another guy comes in same thing. Oh, hey, I'm Misty's boyfriend. She told me that um, leave like 500 bucks, 1,000. He's like, I got like 1,800 bucks. Sure. And literally within a day, she had like several men show up and just give me money. And then she drove away the car. So that's some of the, the, the crazy stuff that like we would deal with all the time. Strippers, pimps. Um, I mean, like, like I said, I've had people trade in a helicopter. I got a Bell helicopter out of somebody's backyard. They didn't know what it was. Their friend left it there. They were supposed to use it left for an event. It yeah, and so we took it in on trade. We actually sold it for, I think it was like 180K. I had uh, no you idea. You sold was... a helicopter. So <laughs> yeah. they, they gave you that as a down payment for what car? Um, it was a 20, 2010 Escalade. How did much they know did you the... sell that for? 
No, but well, think about it. It's like, how do you sell a helicopter? What is it worth? Craigslist like was, it. I don't know. No, that's that, we did. It? We looked on Craigslist and we're like, does it run? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, how did you guys get it there? He's like, oh, we brought it in here on a, well, on a truck. And I was like, so you just brought it in the truck and stuck it in your backyard? He's like, yeah. So we were actually, because my, my dealership was by the freeway. So we were going to like stick it on the side of my sign and buy the freeway. We're like, we'll just use it as a big sign as a joke. And I think we gave him like $5,000 in trade. And then once we found out how much this thing was worth, they... It was 180k, but I think we had to spend about thirty thousand dollars because I guess the blades are time related. They have to be mm. a certain year's amount of old, and they have to be installed. So the guy who ended up bringing it together is at the North Las Vegas Airport. But we got it fixed up. We paid him the money, and he found a guy that bought it. And uh, I thought there'd be like a title or some sort of paperwork. No, just give wow. him a helicopter. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, okay, but I mean, like, yeah, we've <laughs> we've gotten all kinds of crazy stuff. So I've had. That stolen cars. Um, I don't know if you saw some of my Instagram stories, like people offering us drugs all the time. I got, you know, I got coke, I got hookers, I got weed. What you plumbers know. offering? Hey, I'll fix your pipes. Or- Never. If I can do something like that, like hey man, I'll work off. Like I had one guy that didn't have any money, but he was in construction, but he needed to make need to do something. I had to remodel our office just for a down payment because I was like, it's at least he's got a skill, yeah. yeah, that he can help me with. And I was like, can I meet a landscaper? Same thing. I had to redo my parents' house. So stuff like that, I actually looked for, but I never got like that that often. It was always something crazy, like bro, I got a fur coat. I'm like, what am I going to do with a fur coat? It's Las Vegas. <laughs> it's a twelve thousand dollar fur coat. Well, good, sell it for six and give me the money. You know, wow, just take it for trade. And so it's just like, I literally became a pawn shop. We had TVs. Like my whole shop was full of, it looked like your studio. Would you sell this stuff out of the pond? Like people would go buying for cars and they'd see like all your. Yeah, my my sales guys were being lazy and they were sitting there not doing anything. I would say, hey, post this stuff up for sale. So they'd post cars for sale on Facebook and then they'd post all of our crap that we took in on trades. And then I would split the money with them. So whatever we sold it for. So if we had like this microphone and we sold it for 50 bucks, they would keep 25, I get 25, and we just kept doing that on all the items we get. And it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. This guy, these people would show up 10, 20, 30 TVs one time. Um, I guess he bought them from some auction and showed up with all of them. They all worked, and we sold each one for 100 bucks. Wow. So it's it's crazy. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much some of the, the PG stuff. The other stuff I'll tell you offline, but that's some of the weird stuff that we've gotten in as far wow. as trades and everything else. That's crazy. Well, thank you so much for coming you, on, man. man. Thank you for this sharing these fun. stories. It was amazing. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's one one year of uh, friendship and one uh, iced coffee hour. Cool. It's been great. Well, happy to celebrate that. I'll link to your information down below in the description, as well as uh, Purple Flare Wraps. If you guys are looking for a good wrap company, they wrap the Lotus. Uh, you'll see some pictures of it very shortly. Actually, you know what? I'll throw up a picture of it right here. They, they did such a good job, as with you, Lucky, mm-hmm. trying to get that car up and running. So thank you guys so much. Also, oh, Lucky, did you get your free stock down below in also, the description? you guys me on Instagram. When you sign up for public.com slash gram. post where oh, I walked yeah. 100 miles for 100 days. You got the free stock. And All right. Check guys, follow me on Instagram right. before you go. Thank Thanks you guys so much for watching. So much for watching. And until next and time. Goodbye. Cool. Wow, Sweet. I never closed that out. That was fun. Yeah.